Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Uh, Well, good morning. Welcome here this morning. Uh, For those of you who might not know who I am, I'm Pastor Nate. Uh, I'm the pastor of student ministries here at the church. Uh, So how many of you have heard of the term ring before spring? Just one? A couple people? So ring before spring is a very popular saying at Bible schools, especially like today. Um, And basically what it means is you're going to school specifically to get engaged to be married. That's, that's the whole premise of it. You're going to Bible school, and your whole goal is come springtime, you have a ring on your finger. That, that is the whole premise. Um, it, it's also this mentality that if you don't f- find somebody, that if you don't have a ring on your finger come springtime, that you failed. Uh, that your time going to Bible school, that like six months or whatever, was pointless because you didn't find a spouse. And it's, it's basically giving people this mentality that marriage is the end goal for life. That you shouldn't go to school to go to school to get an education, but that you should go to school to find yourself a partner, so that you'll have a spouse for your life. That you can't find a spouse somewhere else. And that's, that's the whole ring before spring mentality. It's quite popular. So for those of you who haven't heard about it, if you have like kids or grandkids that are currently like in university or going to university, ask them if they know that saying. I can almost guarantee that they will say yes, that they do. Uh, So today we're going to be continuing our series uh, in in the book of 1 Corinthians called The Hot Mess. So up to this point uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been speaking uh, about the identity of the, of the Church of the Corinthians. Um, so chapters 1 to 6 are talking about their identity. Um, and how also more than just their identity, but how they should be conducting themselves, just, just in general as Christians, as called separated apart people. Now in chapter 7, that's when Paul actually starts to answer the questions. Uh, so the book of Corinthians came out of uh, what, what we're assuming is a letter that the Corinthian church has sent to Paul with a list of questions. Just being like, what, what would you say are the answer to all of these things? And chapter 7 uh, is where we start to see the answers to these questions. So the first question that Paul approaches uh, is the question about marriage and whether or not uh, the people in Corinth should remain, remain celibate and single or if they should get married. So, and some of you might be asking, why I'm the one preaching about this, because I myself am a single person. Um, And it's because I have a different perspective than somebody who's married. And it's not very common you get that perspective, right? Uh, So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're we're just going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll go back through it. So it says, Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man to not marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him, but also to his wife. 
Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give them this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must, must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If, my, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman uh, has, has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified, uh, have, has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, uh, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. And an unbelieving man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain their place in the life of the Lord that has assigned them and to which God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation in he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was free when he was called in Christ's slave, uh, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called them to. Now about the virgins. I have, I, have a I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, you're, if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this, in this life, and I will spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they have had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if it uh, engrossed in them. For this, wor for this world in its presence from this p from form is, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. He can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. 
I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in, in a right way, in an undivided devotion to the Lord. So this chapter continues on, um, but as we've heard from Pastor Greg, the church of Corinth is a hot mess. And just by, and we can see that by quickly reading this passage that the church of Corinth is a hot mess. It's such a hot mess that I would actually say that the way that Paul writes this chapter in and of itself is kind of a hot mess because he's constantly flipping back, before, back and forth between this is what a married person should do, this is what an unmarried person should do, and then people who are divorced, and then he goes back over it all. It's not all concise in one place. It kind of feels like it's all over the place. And it goes to show that the church is a hot mess. So although Paul is answering the question uh, that the Corinthians were asking about marriage, I think that Paul, in a way, is asking people his own question in return to the question that they've asked him. He's kind of asking them uh, about their own relationships and if they're God-honoring. This morning, we're going to be looking at what Paul says about different relationship statuses. So first, we're going to look at what Paul says about being single. So the first thing that he says is that it's good to remain unmarried unless you can't control yourself. So Paul, Paul himself, um, it's kind of unsure whether he was married before, if his wife died, if they got a divorce, whatever. But currently, as he's writing this, he is single. And he's saying, you should try and stay as I am because I am blessed. But because he knows of the sexual immorality uh, that Greg was talking about last week within the church of Corinth, he's saying, if you can't control yourself, don't try and fight it, just get married. Instead of being tempted and possibly sinning uh, by having an immoral relationship with somebody else, get married instead of staying single. Paul's also saying that being single can actually be a gift. Um, in today's day and age, we see singleness as kind of a failure, um, that if you're not married, you haven't achieved the pinnacle in life. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying that being married or being single in itself is a gift. So during the time that this was written, Christians in certain re regions were being heavily persecuted. And that could be a benefit to somebody who is single at, at this time within this church. That if that person was being held captive because of their uh, faith in Christ, uh, that if they were personally being persecuted, they would actually be gifted in that. Could you imagine that? Oh, you're single? You're, you're gifted because you're being persecuted and you're single. And the reasoning for that is because if you're single and being persecuted, they have nobody else to go to. They're like, you have to renounce your faith. And if you decide not to, they're only going after you. And he's saying that's a gift because if you're married and you're being persecuted, well, they can come at you and tell you, renounce your faith. And if you don't, I'm going to go attack your family. He's saying that's a gift. It's a wonderful thing to be able to stand there and be like, no, this is my faith. I don't have to worry about anybody else. I don't have to renounce my faith because there's nobody else that I'm worried about. And th now this isn't really something that we deal with in North America. We're pretty free to be Christians. It's very rare that uh, we come up against somebody who's like going to attack you for being a Christian. But being a sing single as a Christian can be beneficial because you can battle for your faith and you don't have to worry about uh, any repercussions for your spouse, any fallback on your spouse. If somebody's coming at you for your faith, you can defend yourself and not have to worry about what's this going to do to my spouse. 
You just have to think about yourself and your relationship with God. And that's a gift. A second part of it being a gift is that you, you'd have the opportunity to serve God without having any distractions. Of course, you still want to have a social life and you still want to have friends outside of, you know, just coming to church. But you can have Jesus as your central focus and you don't have to really have anything else as your center. A person who is unmarried, in a sense, uh, is more free to serve God because they don't have to think about a family or spouse and take, uh, take their focus and put it on something else. Their focus can fully be on God. And then Paul also talks about marriage. And as we heard from Pastor Greg last week, uh, the church of Corinth has a lot of sexual immorality. Paul here is saying uh, that because of this immorality, that each person should try and find a spouse to help with that cycle of immorality. That if, if you can't remain, you know, celibate, if you can't resist those urges, that you should get married and try not to live in this sexual immorality that a lot of the church was living in. He's saying that if two people get married, uh, that their body isn't their own anymore. It's also to their spouse. That's, that's one of the general principles uh, for those that are married, that your body doesn't belong to you alone anymore, but also to your spouse. And for those of you in the room who are married or have been married, you understand that. You understand that your focus isn't on yourself anymore, but as you live in your actions, they affect your spouse. So you have to constantly be thinking, okay, this is going to happen to me. What does it do to my spouse? That's one of the things that it means to be married, is you're also thinking about whoever you're with. He also says that you should satisfy your bodily desires with, the pers- uh, with your spouse so that Satan can't come in and tempt you with other things. But on top of that, uh, then you won't have the desires and thoughts when coming before God and can fully concentrate on him. So within the church of Corinth, it's not just the people who are single who are living in sexual immorality. It's also the people who are married. And it's because they're not actually satisfying those needs within their marriage. And Paul's saying here, look, I get that you're going to have these desires. It's a pretty natural thing. So satisfy that with your partner. And then Satan actually can't come in. If you're not giving him that foothold, you can serve God fully and not have to worry about Satan creeping in, giving you these thoughts, and taking your attention away from him and putting it on something else. And then in verse 33, Paul says that a married person's interests are divided. And that can be true. For a married person, it could be a lot more difficult to invest in the things that God has called you to because you have to think about your family. When God calls you towards something, it's not, okay, I can get up and go. We're good to go. Instantly get on, get on the road and move. It's, you have to stop and think, okay, God is calling me to this. How do we approach that with both of us? Because both of us have, have lives. We're together, but we also live our own separate lives in a sense. So for me, when I moved up here, when I moved up here just over a year ago, I was able to just hop on the road and go. It was just, it's just me. I don't have to think about anybody. But say I was married before I moved up here. It wouldn't have just been me being like, great, got an opportunity to be a pastor at a church up in the middle of nowhere. I can, I can just, I couldn't just hop in my car and go. I would have to stop and think, okay, I can move up to the middle of nowhere by myself to be a pastor. 
but what does that mean for my spouse? What does that look like for my spouse? It's no longer just being like, God has called me to this, let's go. It's God has called me to this, but what does that mean for my spouse? Your interests are no longer just on God. It's also your interests for your spouse. And then Paul also briefly talks about divorce. What Paul says about divorce ultimately boils down to just don't get divorced. But there is a but here. He says, but you can divorce your spouse uh, if, they, if they aren't Christian and they want to leave you. It's not, I'm a Christian, my spouse isn't, I want to leave them. It's, I'm a Christian, my spouse isn't, they want to leave me. That's okay for divorce. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, I know that that's a very kind of simplistic view and really doesn't give much context, and there are more places within the Bible, but this is what all Paul is saying here. How many of you have heard uh, the saying, flirt to convert? (laughs) By the laughs, I'm assuming that some of you have, or you just think that it's a funny saying. Flirt to convert uh, is the idea that um, you yourself are a Christian, and you're going to go out and find somebody who isn't a Christian, uh, get in a relationship with them, and through that relationship, you're going to bring them towards Christ. And that, that is the point of the relationship. You're, you're flirting with somebody, getting in a relationship to convert them to Christianity. And Paul here is saying, don't do that. Don't go out and find somebody who isn't Christian uh, to try and get them to be a Christian, because chances are that's not going to work for you. You guys don't necessarily have the same values in life because one of you is wanting to live for Christ and the other is not. And that's, that's essentially all that Paul says about divorce. He doesn't really give much other context or many other ideas, just that. So when we look at 1 Corinthians 7, it kind of seems like Paul is being relatively negative towards marriage. But if we look at it, Paul's actually giving us some, uh, points out some advantages and disadvantages for both married and single people. So for single people, an advantage is they don't have to think about uh, somebody else when it comes to following Christ. They just have to think about themselves and go for it. They have to think about their own relationship and not about anybody else's relationship. And it's pretty great. The downfall there, though, is that there might be more temptation in life for somebody who's single because they don't have somebody beside them. They don't have uh, somebody that they've committed to, that they've been bound with. So they might feel more temptation to go out and sleep around, essentially. And that's the downfall for somebody who's single. And then for married people, an advantage is they get to have somebody to lean on at all times. Uh, You can walk together and process through things together. You're coming up to a hard hard time. It's not just you walking through that anymore. You have somebody else that you can lean on who is directly beside you. You have a hard day at work. You can go home and process that. That's that's one of the advantages Paul is saying here. You get to have somebody else in your life all the time. A downfall to that there, though, is you might not have the freedom to quickly shift life around you because you have to think about yourself and your walk with God, but you also have to think about your spouse and their walk with God, because it might look a little bit different than your own. Your priority isn't necessarily Jesus anymore, but your priority is more so your spouse, because you don't want to hurt them as you walk through life. 
Paul also says something else here in chapter 7 that I think is pretty important, uh, and it's from verses 17 to 24. So we're just going to read those again. It says, Nevertheless, each one should retain their place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was free, uh, free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man is responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him to. So the early church thought that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetimes. So Paul was writing this. It seemed pretty safe to say that Paul was writing this out of a place of haste for preparation. He was trying to point out that marriage isn't the end-all be-all for life that there are advantages and disadvantages to both marriages and singleness. But in the end, I don't think Paul is fully worried about a person's relationship status, but rather, in, but rather if the relationship is one that honors God. He was trying to get this point across uh, that we shouldn't have this mentality that being married is the best a person can do. Paul is trying to steer the people of Corinth away from a sinful relationship by having them think through uh, their relationship status. And that's what this section is going through. Don't worry about changing where you currently are. Don't have uh, marriage as your single focus, but instead come before God through whatever state you currently find yourself in. If you're single, come to God with your whole self because you have the ability to do that. If you're in a relationship, come to God with the fullest capacity that you can while still honoring your spouse. So before we go into our closing song, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to spend some time thinking about it and then also talking with the people that are around you. And I know that some of you are like, I really hate doing that. I do not want to talk to the people that are around me. That's okay. If you, want, if you are comfortable talking to the people around you, Talk to, the, talk to those people. If you're like, I am not about that. I don't want to talk to people right now. Just sit and ponder these questions by yourself. So the question is, how are you pursuing God through your own relationship status? And what are some action, takes, action steps you can take to refocus on God? So take some time to think about these things, and then we'll go into our closing song. So as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, they thought that Jesus was going to return in their lifetimes. And clearly he didn't, because we're all still here. Uh, but we still don't actually know when Jesus is going to be coming back. Hebrews 12.2 in the message translation, translation says this, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. So as you go about this week, uh, those who are in relationships and those of you who aren't, I want to encourage you to pursue Jesus as if he was coming back during your lifetime. 
I'm not saying that if you're in a relationship uh, that you shouldn't be focusing on your spouse as well. But what might it look like for each of us to shift our focus to God just a little bit more than we currently are? We're going to have some people, uh, some prayer people up at the front here uh, for those of you who would like prayer. Uh, Those of us who are joining us online, there should be a a phone number coming up on your screen, uh, and you can text that for some prayer. Um, Yeah, church, go in peace as you go throughout this week and seek out God for for his relationships. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.